You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Welcome. How are we this morning? Good. You guys awake today? Yeah? A little bit? Getting there? We'll get there. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I wouldn't be here without my mom, literally. So, <laughs> nice corny joke to start off the day with, of course. Would not be here without her. And I'm uh, very grateful for all the moms in here, uh, all the, the blood, sweat, and tears you guys put into what you do. I also know that mom, Mother's Day is a, is a hard day for many. I just want to say that we see you, we love you, we're with you if that's where you are today. Uh, and like I said, my name is Brandon. If I haven't met you yet, one of the pastors here, go ahead and grab your Bibles or your Bible app, turn to Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20, we'll get there in a few minutes. And uh, just a heads up, as you are uh, turning there, uh, we are expecting our fourth child literally any moment now. Uh, so if Christy gets up and leaves, I'm leaving too, just to let you know. <laughs> I'm leaving too. Hopefully that won't happen, but I wanted to prepare you just in case it does. Uh, we're in a series where we're looking at a biblical theology of work, and I've been really encouraged by this series so far. Hopefully you have been too. Uh, Bailey made the point the first week that since work and responsibilities make up about a third of our lives, it's probably important that we know how to think about it well. We should think of it like God thinks of it. And week one, we talked about how you need a story to put work in, that God made us to be his king and queen representatives ruling with him and subduing the earth and harnessing the raw materials in creation to take the world somewhere beautiful. And then last week we talked about how you need a calling, how your calling in work isn't about what you do, but it's about who you do it for. And that the tasks of our work are acts of love for our neighbors. are part of how God answers the prayers of our neighbors. So our work, no matter what it is, can only be a calling when we are working for God and not for our bosses. If you work that way, we can put our whole hearts into our tasks, even if you strongly dislike your job. So I thought that was a very, very helpful idea. And both weeks have been a stark contrast to how we often feel in our work, like, like lemmings or runts or worker bees who are mindlessly working to accomplish someone else's goals. But the point of this whole series is that God is inviting us into something much better than that. And to get there, we, we need more than just a theologically mature view of work. We also need to understand how God designed a rhythm of rest to be woven into our work. So today, our title is, You Need a Sabbath. You need a Sabbath. And if you just thought when I said that, I get Saturdays off, I already do this, so I'll just scroll on my phone until you shut up. Uh, not so fast, as Lee Corso would say, Okay. Not so fast. I, I hope that you will learn today that having a day off and practicing the Sabbath are not at all the same thing. I know lots of people who get a day off most weeks. Many fewer actually Sabbath. So we're going to start with something we touched on in week one. This will be up on the screen. This is the end of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But that's not actually where the week of God's beautiful work ends. There weren't six days in creation, there were seven. And the first three verses of Genesis 2 actually serve as the conclusion to chapter 1. So we'll look at those now. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So in case you missed it, there's some odd language here. Uh, it says the heavens and earth were finished after six days, 
And then on the seventh day, God finished his work. Same word there. So all the work was finished, and then he, like, finished it some more? (laughs) I don't know. He finished it a little bit more again? The language almost reads like God, in the act of not working to create or produce anything on day seven, created something anyway. Which sounds weird, but it's exactly what he did. When it says God rested on the seventh day, the Hebrew word is Shabbat. That's where we get our word Sabbath. It simply means to stop, to cease. In this context, it means to stop working. God ceased from his big, beautiful, life-giving work. He ceased from productivity. And not because he was weary, but because rest was a part of his delightful work. It was a part of the rhythm. And something happened when he did that. By ceasing production on the seventh day, God created what we call the Sabbath. And it's pivotal and essential to the very fabric of creation. Listen to how Moses describes it in verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So two quick things to point out here. First, God blessed the Sabbath. He blessed it. In Genesis 1 and 2, God blesses three things. Those things are animals, humans, and the Sabbath. In 122, he blesses the animals, and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then in 128, very similar language, he blesses the humans, and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's blessing blessing for both of those is a supernatural ability to give life and fill the earth. And then God blesses a day, the Sabbath. Meaning the Sabbath, just like animals and humans, have been given by God a supernatural life-giving ability. And secondly, God made it holy. He made the Sabbath holy. The Hebrew word is kadash. God kadashed the Sabbath, which means to sanctify, to give it high value and set it apart as sacred or important. So it's a matter of distinction and set-apartness. So on the most basic level, what this means is if you come to my house and you want a glass of water, I may point to the cabinet and say, the glasses are in there, but don't touch my national championship pint glass. (laughs) That one is separate. It's unique. It's for me. It's holy. It's set apart. That's the idea. That one is different from the others. Now, I wouldn't do that to you, but that's the idea. So in the Bible, when it says God is holy, it means he's different than us, that we are contrasted with him and he stands out as other, unique, and higher, and different. When it says God's people are called to be united through, to him through grace and then be holy as he is holy, it means that when you compare God's people with any other group of people, we should be different. We should be distinct. Even if people don't know exactly what it is, there should be some sense of These people are not like those people. They're different. And that very same concept is actually applied to our days, that woven into God's design for creation and human flourishing is the idea that for six days we work hard and produce and accomplish, and then that seventh day should stick out like a sore thumb. It should look and feel radically different from the rest of our days because it is holy It is set apart. So the rhythm is to work hard and rest well, and work hard and rest well. In God's original design for work, he designed it to have this balancing point, this rhythm of working and ceasing from work. Because we are beings made in his image, not machines. And healthy, godly, purpose-filled work and healthy, godly, purpose-filled rest are dependent on one another in this cycle. 
In the same way, an unhealthy, godless, disordered approach to work and an unhealthy, godless, disordered approach to rest also tend to go together. Like twin toddlers driving their mother insane. They thrive off of each other and lead to death. (laughs) Some might say. So a rhythm of unhealthy work and unhealthy rest is a nasty cycle that will chew you up and spit you out. And the biblical weight of this mutually dependent rhythm of work and rest really can't be overstated. We know this because work and Sabbath make the cut for the Ten Commandments. The most important rules for basic morality and life under God's good rule that we find in Exodus 20 tells us about this. We're going to pick up in verse 8 of chapter 20 in the book of Exodus. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exact same word used in Genesis 2. This day should look different than all the rest. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. So don't try to loophole the Sabbath by making your kids do your housework for you. Your male servant or your female servant or your livestock. So even the animals should get a break. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. We don't have time to get into that, but part of the Sabbath is a social justice mandate where God intends to protect ourselves and the poor and the oppressed. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So at the end it gives us the explanation or motivation. So when you ask the question, why Sabbath? Because God rested. Which really starts to work on any of our excuses. So if you say, I don't think you understand. I have a really important job. I'm the CEO. Okay, cool. God rested. He did. If he did, you can. Well, I'm working for a startup, and we've got to pull 16-hour days. Yeah, totally, but also God rested when he was starting up the universe. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> terrible joke. But I've got four stay-at-home kids who need me every waking hour. Yes, and God rested, Mama. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So God is inviting us into this holy, blessed rhythm of life that he lives in. And he, he wove into the very fabric of creation. In verse 9, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That's the rhythm. Two parts of one interwoven command. Six days you work hard, one day you rest. But before we go any further than that, I just want to point out a few key differences in how you think about these categories. Uh, because for this balance to work like it's supposed to, it has to be understood properly. And when I say the words work and rest, some of you likely have different connotations and associations around those words. So let's look at work first, because that's what this whole series is about. And I think it's helpful to think about the differences between what the Bible gives as healthy, real work and what we'd call counterfeit or unhealthy work. So I have a chart that helps explain this idea. Uh, the difference between unhealthy and healthy or counterfeit and real work. So counterfeit work is working with the wrong motivations and assumptions. It's striving for an identity for yourself, like we'll talk about more next week. It's proving yourself that you matter. It's always consumed with acquiring more for yourself, building wealth and stability so you won't have to be in fear. And if that's your chief concern, then taking time off is a threat to you and to your goals. 
And this results in an incredibly anxious heart and a need to stay busy and productive in some way, which means that if and when you do try to take intentional time off to rest and recharge, it'll be really difficult because everything in you just wants to keep the hamster wheel going, right? Just keep it running. And real healthy work doesn't feel like that. It doesn't find your identity in what you're doing, but in who you're doing it for, the Lord. So you can put your whole heart into your work, no matter what it is, no matter if you particularly enjoy it or not. It's also a rejection of slothfulness and laziness. It is working heartily as unto the Lord, like we talked about from Colossians last week. It takes our responsibilities to join God in taking the world somewhere seriously and knows that our work is part of how God answers the prayers of other people, how he takes care of the world. And then lastly, it's fine being tired at the end of the day. We are meant to be tired at the end of the day. We'll have more on that in a second too. Now let's talk about rest. The difference between counterfeit and real rest or healthy and unhealthy rest Counterfeit rest is what I would call undisciplined rest. Undisciplined rest. It's doing activities that don't expend a lot of energy, but also don't recharge you or productively process your stress. It's lazy rest. It just wants to momentarily escape the stress through a Netflix binge or or other mindless activity that you choose. Which feels okay while you're doing it, but then you come back from it and you realize that all of your stress and overwhelm and fatigue are still there. It's undisciplined and lazy, unfruitful rest. Real healthy rest, however, leaves you feeling like you experienced something that was good for your soul. Its focus is on engaging, not disengaging. On being grateful for the things God has given you and the people he's given you. It seeks to enjoy God's gifts in your life like quiet time and hobbies you enjoy and time with family or friends. And it also feels set apart. It feels different than the rest of the week does. So every other day may be filled with constant phone scrolling or email returning or wind down Netflix shows, but Sabbath doesn't. It sticks out from everything else. It's Godward, meaning your heart is being pulled toward worship and awareness and appreciation for God, not being numb to those things through mindless activities. And lastly, it's focused on not producing. It's focused on being a human being, not on doing. And we tend to believe this misconception that that rest equals not exuding any energy. Rest equals not exuding any energy. That's a common lie that sets you up for failure. So you don't exude any energy when you binge shows for six hours, right? But that's not healthy rest, right? That'll leave you more zombie-like than you were before. It'll eat your brain away. And if you hypothetically have three young kids and are about to have a fourth, you will exude some energy while you Sabbath together. You have to. But it can be intentional, enjoyable, restful energy while you play and enjoy and feast and rest together. You do not have to ship your kids off to the in-laws to be able to Sabbath, okay? You don't have to do that. If you can every once in a while, that's great. But you don't have to to be able to Sabbath. We went to Hawaii yesterday during our Sabbath, and I definitely expended some energy there, okay? I am sore today, but it was very restful energy. 
So the, biblically, the, the design is that real work and real rest would have this symbiotic relationship, this cycle where they flow into one another. But often what happens is that we get stuck in the counterfeit cycle of counterfeit work and counterfeit rest, unhealthy work and unhealthy rest. And neither of them are fulfilling, they aren't life-giving, and over time it leaves you very dry and weary. This whole series is trying to give us language and categories and a vision for God-honoring work. And for some of us, we need to hear the first part of the command we just talked about a minute ago, where it says, six days you shall labor. One of our pastors was talking to a young single guy who was working uh, a part-time job 30 hours a week, and he was volunteering in a, in a small way in the church. And this young guy started telling our pastor that he was worried about volunteering too much because he didn't want to burn out. And our pastor tried not to snicker in his face, <laughs> tried not to, uh, and in some loving way, he said, bruh, that is not possible. What, what you were doing, that's not possible. You've never worked hard enough to even come close to the category of burnout. All you've gotten close to is a little bit tired. You do not need to be concerned about being burnt out right now in this stage of your life. So here's an idea for you. Tired is not a bad diagnosis. Tired is not a bad diagnosis. Diabetes, that's a bad diagnosis, okay? <laughs> but not being tired, that's not a bad diagnosis. Tired is the natural result of working hard and joining God and taking the world somewhere. You should feel tired at the end of the day. You are made to feel tired. That's not an indicator that something is wrong in your life. If you're tired at the end of the day and your last thought as your head hits the pillow is, man, thanks God, I exhausted every single energy molecule you gave me today joining you and your work that you have for me. That's glorious. That's healthy and beautiful and it's not a problem. Look at Jesus' life. He worked hard as a carpenter until he was 30. He worked hard in ministry, loving and healing and teaching and serving all kinds of people. His life was beautifully exhausting. But don't mishear me on this idea. There is such a thing as being the wrong kind of tired. The wrong kind of tired. Being tired from wasting your time and energy doing the wrong things. From being stuck in a cycle of unhealthy work and unhealthy rest. If you're tired from that cycle and, and unhealthy rest patterns from too much social media or Netflix binging or video games, that is a problem, yeah. But the problem is not that you're tired, it's that you're the wrong kind of tired. When you're supposed to be the right kind of tired from rhythms of healthy work and healthy rest. And there is such a thing as being chronically exhausted because your sleep and work and rest rhythms are all out of whack. But the problem is that you're out of balance, not that you're tired. And there's such a thing of being tired from having a newborn and lack of sleep. We're about to be there. And that's a stage, and it gets better. So if you need to get your sleep in order, get your sleep in order. And if you need to survive the first few months of having a baby, survive. And if you need to repent from wasting hours and days and rhythms of unhealthy work and unhealthy rest, then repent from that. And otherwise, let's all renew our minds that God did not design life to feel like a nice holiday at the beach. He made us to join him in working and being tired in that direction as a holy kind of good. So some of us need to hear the first part, six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But plenty of us need to hear the second part too, where it says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Because if you miss this, you'll get swept up into the world of more, more work, more deadlines, more productivity. Like take a day off doesn't seem like it would need to be commanded, right? Doesn't seem like it would need to be a command. It seems like we'd all just be down with that, but, but we aren't. We forget and we drift into the culture of more. But you are not a robot or a work-producing machine. You're a human being made in God's image to be blessed with life and life-giving potential. And work with no bounds will absolutely kill you. Literally. There's a Japanese term, kuroshi, that means death by overwork. I've actually studied it in Japan. It normally happens through cardiac arrest or stroke or even starvation. The clinical term is occupational sudden mortality. And that should be especially concerning to us as Americans because we, on average, work 137 more hours a year than the Japanese do. Americans work on average more than any other nation in the world, 260 hours a year more than the British. That's about 11 days extra. 499 hours a year more than the French. But to be fair, that is the French. (laughs) I'm not sure how much they count, after all. Just kidding. And even when we're not technically working, we're still anxiously producing. We're still crossing off things on our to-do list, still neck deep in housework and chores, still tethered to our email and our phones like they're a part of our souls. And of all the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the only one where it's socially accepted to brag about breaking it. So it's not acceptable to walk around saying, I'm just so tired from murdering this week. I murdered people for like 70 hours this week. That's funny, you can laugh. If you didn't like that joke, email John Ludovina at jludovina at midtowncolumbia.com. But we wear busyness and workaholism like a badge of honor in our culture. And this overwork can be driven by all kinds of things we're going to talk about in this series. If you don't know what your identity is, then work becomes this easy place to try to build it. I'm a doctor. I'm a success. I'm the top of my class. If you don't know your security is in Jesus, then work can become this place where you strive for economic safety and security. If you don't know your status and value are found in Jesus, then accumulating things can feel like a way to matter to be noticed and stand out and have worth. But the truth is there's a deeper reason for many of us why we struggle with overwork. And Deuteronomy actually relists the Ten Commandments for the generation that came after Exodus 20. And in this command, it's almost identical, but then we get the motivation in verse 15, and it changes. It's going to be on the screen for us. Deuteronomy 5, 15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So it's a whole new reason for us. And I think it's one that's really important for us and our culture. When Moses writes, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, he's drawing back to mind for them a terrible, soul-crushing way of life they had under Pharaoh, who was a brutal tyrant. Pharaoh was absolutely relentless. It was never enough. He always demanded more production with less resources. And Egypt's appetite for more was insatiable. 
Never enough food, never enough goods, never enough services. And much of the slave labor was just to fill up his extra supply cities. Whole extra cities of reserve and savings. But it was still never enough. There's this deep anxiety in Pharaoh. And when God miraculously saved his people from the hand of Pharaoh and led them into relationship with him, one of the most important commandments he gave them was, take a day off. Keep the Sabbath holy. They were not to live and exist as if they were still back in Egypt, where it was never enough. And I just want to point out that in a more primitive agrarian society, maybe even more so than ours, the act of taking a Sabbath was a profound act of faith. At its root, Sabbath is an act of faith. When your livelihood depended on your animals and crops, it was challenging to not tend them one day out of seven. But in this, God was telling them a beautiful truth that, yes, you were designed to work, but ultimately it's me who takes care of you. I make the rain fall. I make the crops grow. I accomplish things and take care of things that you cannot. So sit down and rest with me. Because I made you to be more than just a worker bee, and you are no longer a slave to anything, because now you are my children. So faith throughout Scripture is not working. It is accepting and trusting the work of God on your behalf. Accepting his righteousness and his strength and his power and his provision for you. And Sabbath is acting out that beautiful dependence on God your Father with your actual days and weeks. It's a beautiful picture of faith. Sabbath is also an act of relationship. Because as you cease to produce, you trust God to take care of you as your Father. You stop to enjoy and engage life in a Godward way. It grounds you in who you truly are, that you're not a slave anymore. You are now a son or daughter. So this reminds me of my grandfather, who was the, the hardest working man that I ever met. He worked at GE up in Greenville when I was growing up, and uh, he like literally would never take a day off. He was that kind of man, and uh, he would save up all of his vacation days until December and take a few weeks off. And uh, every December, uh, we grew up on this, you know, 40-something acres in the upstate, and uh, we would drive his, his Chevy Silverado pickup truck down into the woods, and he would pick out a big oak tree for us to cut down for wood for the winter. And I thought it was so cool because I was like, you know, nine or ten or whatever. Uh, and he would, you know, get out this really long rope and tie one end to the oak tree and tie the other end to the, uh, the hitch on the back of the truck. And he would let me drive the truck, which was awesome. And I would pull and get, bring tension on the tree, driving the truck away, and he would get the chainsaw and cut the, ch- the tree down. And if you've never heard an, a huge oak tree fall, you should. It's very fun. Uh, very cool picture to see that fall. Uh, and I would get to help with that. And then we'd get out the chainsaw and the, and the axe, and we'd chop up all the wood and load it up in the truck and bring it up to the house and um, stack it all up for the winter. Um, and if I was just a random kid he hired for work, that's where it would have ended, right? <laughs> that's where it would have ended. But because I was not a random kid, I was his grandchild, uh, I would come inside the house with him after we did this hard labor of cutting down an oak tree. And we would go in, and he'd put some wood into the wood-burning stove and build a fire to, to make the house warm on a cold December night. And uh, he would make us glasses of cornbread and milk. Anyone familiar with that? Anyone grew up like I did? 
If you're not familiar, uh, it's literally cornbread and milk. <laughs> That's what it is. And it's delicious, even if it sounds gross. Uh, I was talking to a friend about it recently, and they were like, that sounds like underdeveloped Thanksgiving dressing. And I was like, yes, yeah, it is. Yes, but it's wonderful. It's really good. Really good. It's an act of relationship. I would get to go in the house and enjoy time with my grandfather after we worked together. So Sabbath is not just time off work. It's Godward time that enjoys relationship with him and with others that you love. It's an act of relationship with him. And then lastly, Sabbath is an act of resistance. It's an act of resistance. It's resistance against the pressure and prevailing empire around us. It's resistance against the anxiety of Egypt that also very much so exists in the U.S. of A. So Sabbath is a practice of drawing a line in the sand to say, hey, we are no longer slaves to the culture of more. We will not go back to Egypt. We are no longer slaves to our anxiety or anyone else's. And God has done something in us to rescue us from the lie that we are subhuman production robots who only have value in what we produce. And if you haven't noticed, our culture is marked by a profound restlessness. We have an unquestioned hunger and search for more. And like I said, we work more than any other culture. In the 1960s, all these theorists thought the problem in the future would be that we'd have too much leisure time. Isn't that funny? A Senate subcommittee before Nixon estimated that by 1988, the average American would work 20 hours per week. And the problem will be that everyone would have too much free time and we'd have to figure out how to manage that. That's so funny. Our productivity since has gone up 400%. Uh, so mathematically, we should be able to, to make the same amount of money working 10 hours a week. But that's not the way it works. And because of sin, something is broken in us where we simply cannot cease producing. We can't stop working. We don't know how to rest. Pharaoh would love the U.S. We work more than ever before. We have more than ever before. But in spite of that, we're more unhappy than ever before. Sociologists tell us that happiness levels have been in generally, generally on the decline since the 1950s, around the same time that Sabbath began to decline and materialism began to ratchet up. Now in our country, we spend $250 billion on antidepressants. We diagnose people with depression 400 times more than 20 years ago. 45,000 people took their own lives last year. Bipolar and schizophrenia are spreading like crazy throughout our society. And psychologists say that anxiety is like the canary in the coal mine. It's the first thing that tells you when something is wrong. And the canary is singing. No, wait, it's, it's dead. It's dead, actually. Got my metaphors mixed up. It was singing until it died. Thank you for getting that, kid. And what those stats tell us is that our culture is increasingly a toxic coal mine that's going to kill some canaries. It's missing some very foundational beliefs about God that, that make Godward work and Godward rest possible, and that dynamic is wreaking havoc on us as a society. And Sabbath gives us a way of saying with your mind and your body, enough, enough work. 
Enough busy, enough crazy, enough producing, enough tech, enough entertainment, enough. Because we know that all of those things can and have become addictions for us. And Sabbath is a way to break those socially accepted addictions that are attacking our souls. It's a way to break our addiction to production. So as we wrap up, I just want to talk practically for a few minutes and give you a few ideas to take away that hopefully will benefit you as you try to apply this to your life. Uh, the first one is just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Do 24 hours of rest if you can, and the general rhythm is that it starts in the evening of one day and continues until the evening of the next day. So Friday evening until Saturday evening might work well for you. If you work weekends or have a changing schedule, you might need to get creative with a floating schedule or maybe have two half days or something like that. But just deciding to get started and be intentional with your time is a massive first step. You'll never get anywhere else unless you do that. Start somewhere. Mark it off. Next is make it stand out. Make it stand out. The point of this is to practice real healthy rest, for this day to be holy, to be set apart from the rest of your days. So it should look and feel different. That should be very noticeable to you. And your list of what you're not going to do probably matters as much or more than what you're going to do. It's a call to cease from productivity. So if I were you, I would start by listing out the three things in your life that are most associated with productivity and producing for you and making them utterly off-limits on this day. So if you do email constantly, absolutely no email on the Sabbath. If you constantly do laundry, guess what you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath? If your life functions off a to-do list, to-do lists are anathema on the Sabbath. They're not allowed. You're not allowed a list of any kind because you were not producing today. A good friend of mine was the vice president of Blue Cross Blue Shield before he passed away, and uh, his life was scheduled down to 15-minute intervals. So on Saturday, his first rule was no schedule. <laughs> no schedule, no planning. So if I asked him if he wanted to hang out on Saturday earlier in the week, he'd say, maybe. <laughs> if I call you or if you call me and we decide to hang out, then, I, then we'll do that but I will not plan a time to hang out on Saturday because that's my Sabbath and my whole life is planned out. And at first I thought that was kind of weird, honestly. I was like, huh. And then I realized how brilliant it is because he was rebelling against his work week, not having a plan or a schedule. And on this note, I think it's really helpful to to mark the time. So I know of one family who uh, starts the Sabbath by getting their small kids together on Friday evening before dinner, before their weekly Sabbath starts, And before dinner, they just simply light a candle together just to mark our Sabbath is starting. And they say, for the next 24 hours, we're honoring God by not working, by enjoying him and enjoying each other. So it just practically sets it apart and gives the time an intentional feel, even for the children. Next is prepare in advance to enjoy it. Prepare in advance to enjoy it. Uh, So think about Christmas for a second. Think about what you do to prepare in advance so Christmas can be special and fun. You, You cook the casserole before, you make plans before, you do all the gift wrapping before, so that when Christmas gets here, you can just enjoy it, right? Just be with your family and enjoy it. So Sabbath is supposed to be like that on a smaller scale. 
I've heard people say before that rest takes work. Rest takes work. It takes a little bit of work to plan ahead, but if you do, you'll feel the Christmas effect. It'll be like Christmas every Saturday. It'll be awesome. You'll enjoy the specialness of that time even more because you thought ahead to make sure you don't have to produce that day. Next, fill it with the best things of life. Fill it with the best things of life. It's Christmas once a week. If you can, get some good alone time with Jesus, journaling and reading and praying. If you have a lot of little kids, that might be harder. It might need to happen after they go to bed or before they get up. Uh, Before I had kids, my picture of the Sabbath was uh, at least four hours at the river with my Bible and a good book and maybe a sun-kissed nap by the river. That doesn't happen anymore, ever. Can't happen. So for those of you with small kids, figure out how you're going to rest in a Godward way together. Maybe enjoy a nice, slow, intentional meal. Maybe with some other people where you prepare it together and clean up together and talk about meaningful things in life. Uh, Read some books. Play games together. Turn down the lights in your house and play some chill, restful music. Maybe pull out an instrument and, and play it if you've got one and make music. Take a walk. Take a nap. Take a bath. It's right there in the word, Sabbath. Sometimes I hate myself for the jokes I make, just to let you know. Sometimes I hate myself. I also don't understand why anyone would ever want to take a bath. It just is not on my radar at all. Just, ugh. If you're married, make love and don't be in a rush. Uh, For our family, Sabbath starts with a chill Friday night to unwind. Uh, We have a a semi-tradition of eating Mexican food. And sometimes friends join us for that. Um, Saturday mornings we go to the gym, and sometimes we go to Soda City after to eat brunch. And the rest of the day we just try to relax and try to enjoy each other and enjoy God. And then sometimes Saturday night I transition back into work to prepare for Sunday. But figure out what works for you and fill it with the absolute best things in life. And lastly, get off tech as much as possible. Get off of tech as much as possible. I can't encourage you enough to do this because modern life has tethered us to the glass bricks that run our lives. They tell us where to be and who needs us and how to think about the world and so many other things, and we need a break from them. We need a break from what they're doing to our brains. So try to go no phone, no email. If you're worried about being unreachable, that's okay. The world will keep rolling, and it will be good for you to realize that. And Instagram will be there when you get back, I promise. Don't worry. And all this, don't be surprised if you have backlash. It's almost like you might have withdrawals from productivity. You might find you're addicted to it. Uh, You might have a rush of sad and anxious thoughts come in if you try to do this intentionally. That's not a problem. That's the solution to the problem. Those are all the things that you've been suppressing that God wants you to deal with. It may be a bit awkward at first, and that is okay. No rhythm or habit is buttery smooth your first try. Give it time. Don't just try it once. Try it ten times. Then you'll have a much better feel for it. And I'll end our time this morning with a simple invitation that Jesus gave during his earthly ministry that I think calls out to us today. In Matthew chapter 11, he said these words. He said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Our culture is full of people who are bone-weary from unhealthy counterfeit work and unhealthy counterfeit rest. They're stuck in this constant cycle, and Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. This is a profound teaching that holds meaning on a hundred different levels, but honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy is a primary way God invites us to follow Jesus and learn from him. In the beginning, God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested from his work. So Sabbath is a way of following Jesus and trusting Jesus and being with Jesus. It's a beautiful and restorative and healing, life-giving rhythm that he's invited us into. We neglect it to the detriment of our souls and our marriages and our families. And when we understand what it is he's actually offering us, we'd be foolish not to take it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much um, that you designed life uh, for our good and for your glory. And we uh, are confused about that on so many different levels, and we rebel against that on so many different levels. And uh, I know that the topic for today of the Sabbath is is one of those where um, we just don't understand it correctly. We um, don't understand work and rest correctly. And um, even if we do, we might rebel against it because of identity issues or anxiety issues or whatever. So I pray that you would help us this morning. Pray that your spirit would uh, convict and encourage and challenge us wherever we need it. You would lead us into um, uh, your rest and your easy yoke, uh, a cycle of healthy work and healthy rest that uh, is beautiful and restorative and healing and life-giving for us and for the people around us. to help us see that this is a gift for us individually, a gift for our families, and it's a gift for everyone else around us to get to see um, a non-anxious presence in the midst of a, a chaotic culture, to get to see people who um, are grounded in you and in your rest and your faithfulness, that just get to look different and set apart because we are different and set apart. Uh, help it to be an appealing, attractive thing for people that we come into contact with, that we're on mission with. I think that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, like Hebrews tells us, that uh, the the work of Jesus um, allows us to stop our striving, to stop trying to make ourselves right with you, uh, to stop trying to earn your favor or your approval or your forgiveness. But uh, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He has put an end to all of our striving. So thank you for that. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for for giving us uh, your righteousness, uh, gifting us forgiveness. Thank you for giving us identity and worth and value and standing with you where we can uh, rest with you because you are now our father and not our judge. Please help us to walk in that.